I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And funny thing, uh, I was looking at it. There was a, a personal development course that I did. I think it was around 2000, the year 2000, where after we had talked a lot about personal development and all of that, one of the final things that we did in that class was for us to take a look at the next 10, 15, 20 years of our lives and say to ourselves where we would like to be, what we would like to be doing and picture ourselves writing a letter to that person. So let me tell you what I wrote. I actually saw the letter I was looking through, through some stuff. I said, dear Felix, I hope by now your dream of becoming a consultant has materialized and that you are consulting to a lot more banks and doing a lot more things um, rather than working for one bank. I hope you're exploring new technologies, creating new relationships, trying to solve the world's problems, but in a sensible way. And this is something that I wrote 20 years ago. And I, 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 I looked at the letter and I said, wow, you know, that is exactly what I'm doing today. I mean, I was the lead consultant in setting up the National Switch Ghana Interbank Payment Services. And GIPS uh, is one of the more innovative uh, central bank interbank switches that we have in Africa. I was the lead consultant in setting up automated trading system for the Ghana Stock Exchange something which is still in use today. I was um, one of the consultants in setting up a network of uh, rural banks, links up all the rural banks within Ghana um, to run off one core banking system, therefore saving uh, the country a lot of money and stuff like that for, for many banking projects, many, many banking projects, including the central bank itself. Was it uh, 2008, 2007, 2008? Of course, I'm, I'm sure you'll probably remember a bit of that. I was involved in helping one of the local banks set up its uh, loan origination system, the first of its kind in this country, uh, which enabled the bank to be able to offer consumer loan in 24 hours. It was a trailblazer because in a few years, we had reduced the level of non-performing loans from the 20s in that bank to something between 3 and 5%. Yeah, is that you the know? project that I worked on with you? Yes. Welcome back to How to Lend Money to Strangers. Today I'm speaking to Felix Duku of Duku Consulting about the exponential growth of digital banking in Ghana. I first met Felix when we worked together on a scorecard rollout about a decade ago now. I'd been based in Denmark at the time, 
I jumped on the chance to work on a from-the-ground-up project. And I left Ghana with some great memories, some elephant bookends I still have, and one of my favourite airport anecdotes. You see, one of my visits abutted an already planned ski holiday, and so I arrived in a 40-degree Accra with a suitcase packed full of heavy winter gear, much to the amusement of the baggage crew. But that's not how we have. I called Felix because he has 30 years of experience delivering multiple waves of banking innovation. Thank you so much for joining the show. I was reading your LinkedIn profile and I saw that 20 years ago already, you were in a role at EcoBank that tasked you with developing marketing and deploying innovative banking products. So it's obviously safe to say that banking innovation and digital banking is not a field that you're new to. Could you maybe kick off by introducing yourself and the work that you've been doing over the last 20 years in Ghanaian and West African banking? Thanks a lot, Brendan, and thanks for having me on the show. Yes, uh, I've been in the space that you're talking about for actually a little more than 30 years because um, my technology and banking career started in 1991 when I joined EcoBank as the head of IT. EcoBank is probably the largest bank in Africa in something like 26 or 27 countries, if not more at the moment. Well, this was at a time when we're only in uh, four, five countries. The main bits and pieces of technology were the IBM PC, um, the XTs and the ATs. We had mainframes and all of that, but very little in terms of core banking applications and certainly nothing along the lines of digital. The technology stack we're using was really very basic. We had one small bit of software doing the general ledger and another small bit of software doing the customer accounts. And that was all we had. Now, let me paint a picture of the banking landscape at that time. The banking landscape in the 90s in Ghana, West Africa, were just beginning to wake up to the advantages that digitization could bring in terms of Uh, transforming from manual processes to um, technology-based processes and more of automating the manual process rather than looking at the entire processes end-to-end and transforming them. Very, very basic accounting, very basic um, bookkeeping and all of that. And nothing really digital as we know it today because you still wanted a banking service, you had to go to the bank physically. All that really had changed was that we were able to do a lot of transactions in a shorter period of time and our books were more accurate. But by the mid-1990s, I, I had started getting a little adventurous with what we could do with the technology stack that we had. The internet was yet to really infiltrate into our region. However, um, we have started seeing improvements in the telco space. I don't know if you all remember a little gadget that was our first introduction to modems, the US robotics. And what these modems were able to do was that they were able to provide connectivity between remote places and a centralized processing facility. 
And all that one would be able to do would be to access the data within the central processing facility. So I started getting ideas about, oh, what if we extended that ability to some of our customers where we put a dump terminal, a workstation that doesn't have any processing power and, and, and gets all its processing capability from the centralized processor. So I thought about, could we set up systems in a way where our clients would be able to have access to banking information, their account movements and their account balances by virtue of placing terminals in their offices? On the back of that, this must have been 96, 97, thereabouts. We experimented and uh, we were able to provide connectivity for a few of our blue chip clients to have real-time online access to their core banking data. This was unprecedented at that time. For all intents and purposes, there was nothing like digital banking. There was nothing like online banking. It separated EcoBank from the rest of the banks. And, and indeed, especially in Ghana, um, we were able to win some of the larger accounts because we could walk into any customer's office and say to them, look, do you know that we can give you instantaneous access to your accounting information so that you don't have to call up the bank every morning and over a phone take down the account balances of all of your accounts or wait for a dispatch rider to bring you an account statement? We can do that on the on the computer. So it's like internet banking via a local network before before people had really thought of the capabilities. Absolutely. You can call it internet banking over these lines without the internet sitting in the middle. And uh, this got the market excited and uh, really was the first wave of quote-unquote digital banking as we know it. You know, towards the end of the 1990s, of course, the internet had become more prolific. We had to do some innovative things to keep our customers happy. We're actually not providing internet banking, so to speak, because the core banking system didn't have any interfaces to be able to provide internet banking. So we we provided a package which meant that for our customers, for our blue chip clients, who were now getting used to the internet and getting used to email and all of that, essentially what we became was an internet services provider, we would provide the internet backbone uh, to be able to send email instructions to the bank whilst giving them internet capability. And then at the same time, through the lease lines, still give them the ability to query the systems and uh, get an indication of, of what account movements have happened. Really, if, if, if you look at it, it was providing the same sorts of services that we are providing now, but in a very crude way, based on using the technology that was available at the time in an appropriate manner. Now that we've been working towards the same goal for a while, but the technology has been catching up and you've, you've found ways to, to bring that to the consumers. You can definitely see in that echoes of the modern systems. And even by giving the free internet, you've taken away the risks and the concerns that now modern apps will be thinking the same way. Like, how do I get a consumer to try something new? Okay, I'm going to have to do it free. I'm going to have to put everything in one place. And 
you were doing that just in a yeah in technology, which is only twenty five years old. So it's, it's not actually all that old, but it really seems sort of uh, very much of a different time. Precisely. So you're right. It's, it was only twenty five years ago, but it seems like centuries ago. And uh, your your primary interest was how do I keep my customers happy? How do I protect my customers from being uh, pulled away by the bigger boys in the banking space? So, so we had to be innovative to, to, to be able to protect our turf. And I guess that was one of the motivating factors then. And it's still a motivating factor today. You will agree with me that the telcos are, are in the banking space. I mean, the, the, the banking space is so convoluted right now that I am apprehensive for banks. Those banks that don't adopt the technologies as quickly as practicable, and change direction will probably find themselves as uh, historical references for banks that failed. Unfortunately, that's the reality of the ground. Yes, we we are in the, the late 90s now where I transformed myself from the head of IT and became the head of um, digital banking. So then I decided to explore that internet banking space. The mobile device was still uh, a brand new thing and people were still getting used to the fact that you could carry feature phones around. And 2G, 3G, 4G was to come later. So really banking on a mobile device was was, was the furthest thing from most people's minds. ATMs had started coming around. So I just thought, why can't we, I mean, in Ghana, why can't we begin to have ATM, uh, credit cards, debit cards, that sort of uh, capability over and on top of the digital banking um, we had. So we, we set up a project to work with a couple of other banks to create the first banking switch within Ghana that would enable the three banks to facilitate people being able to use credit or debit cards on other banks. Though I must say that um, the uptake then was not as impressive as we would have liked it to be. The critical success factor was bandwidth between the three banks, bandwidth with you know, the ATMs, transaction turnaround time. So even though the system was working, it was a little too slow and um, you've got to have power to power up these ATMs. And most African countries were at that time and still are struggling with being able to provide clean, uninterrupted power, you know, on a 24-7 basis. So you'd go and plant an ATM somewhere and uh, thinking that, oh, I've planted my ATM. The customer can go and withdraw his money. And you, you, you get consistent blackouts in, in that area. And therefore, the ATM doesn't help the customer. Where the ATMs were attached to branches, you could, of course, you would have some ancillary generating power like diesel or petrol generator with a UPS. But then for the offsite ATMs, what do you do? So for each ATM, we'd have three or four lease lines from different telcos, and then you'd have to get a small battery backup. And then how do you make sure you have the right temperature for the ATM? It, it, it was a very difficult time for anybody 
who was running IT at a time when public infrastructure was really, to a large extent, intermittently available. We didn't have any means of ensuring that an ATM would stay up. And um, that led to a lot of customer dissatisfaction, etc. And that is where I learned the lessons about user experience, thinking that through before deploying any 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 system, because you could you could you can put the best technology together in the bits and pieces. If at the end of the day the man at the tail end of it is unable to use the facility to the best of his or her ability, then we we have a problem. Yeah, and um, cash withdrawal is obviously a very high pressure point in terms of customer service. So if you're looking to withdraw money and it times out, you have that big question, well, did the bank take my money? Is it going to be out my account but not in my hand? But also while you're waiting, you know, depending on the time of day, you're sitting around you know, where you want to stand at an ATM machine. So I can see it being a, a point where you have to be spot on. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and those lessons still persist today. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you are looking at a situation where you, we put on all of these fancy systems, put in place all of these fancy systems, etc. And you ask yourself, are the customers really getting the value that they want? We, we've still got a bit of ways to go in terms of understanding what users really want and understanding what banking on the go means. And there's a lot of development happening happening in that space. But again, um, we are looking at a trajectory. And um, now that everyone has a good core banking system, most banks have a, a good mobile app. The internet is pervasive everywhere. So what is it is holding things back? Yes. So I was talking about our experience from trying to put a bank switch in place without having really considered the performance and the user experience uh, uh, side of things. Of course, back then it was still novel, so uh, we could be excused for our flaws. So yes, back to the drawing board we went and looked for a more robust bank switch and and really, I mean, I, I, I didn't think that it was necessary for anybody to reinvent the wheel. So we ended up finding a fairly robust, good bank switch and that was being used in South Africa at the time. Uh, based on that, we're able to roll out a network of, of ATMs, you know, across the country in a very short time. But the good thing for me, and this is my personal mantra, the good thing for me is that it created the opportunity to learn a lot of things that I wouldn't have learned back then. I like to see all of these challenges as opportunities to upscale my my ability, upscale my experience, upscale my learning. So what, what did I do? I learned everything I could about power systems and backup systems. I can tell you uh, what IP networks do and how they are configured off the back of my hand. I actually went to mining areas to install VSATs. You know, depending on your personal makeup and your personal mantra, it was it was a great opportunity to pick up a lot of experience, which now is proving invaluable because you learn how to do everything by yourself because at the end of the day, the customer needs a service. Uh, Very exciting times. I would call that period mainly 
adoption of technology that was available in the Europe's and the Americas in the first world, so to speak, but adopting that technology and bringing it into Africa, which is very different from what is happening today. What is happening today, especially in the mobile space, you actually have Africa leading. You know, the mobile apps side of things really grew out of necessity within Africa. In the initial stages, it was just being able to use SMSs, etc., to do the banking. But that has evolved. I would say that when you're looking for where you, you, you have a lot of mobile app development, uh, activity, etc., it's all within Africa. Of course, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not happening in the other parts of the world. I'm not saying that. But really, the main drive for that has been from within Africa. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, I think for a period there was M-Pesa and Safaricom would be the sort of names associated with it. But that rise of mobile phone-led banking in East Africa and then spreading through Africa, whereas you said it was a workaround, it was because infrastructure uh, was poor. So people found a way to turn SMSs into a banking solution. And because they didn't have the same infrastructure problems, you didn't necessarily see much take up. Would, do people really need this or is this just a way around infrastructure problems? And then suddenly, you know, smartphones reached maturity to, to a degree that powered all sorts of mobile banking innovation. The fintechs you're seeing now in Ghana and, and Africa in general look a lot more familiar to, to those outside. Just before we spoke, I was looking at a report and it mentioned something like in Ghana, maybe 30 million people doing mobile banking versus under a million doing internet banking and those numbers splitting. So people signing off of internet banking and signing on to mobile banking. So that a gap that's growing. But basically, you have this freedom of development in Africa where people aren't constrained by this is what internet banking looks like. A big portion of today's adults grew up when the only experience of banking has been on the phone. There's no reason a smartphone app built in Ghana can't go on and take on the world. Whereas the Mpesa model... Of course, it was transportable. It went to different countries, but there needed to be certain things in place. You're absolutely right. Your synopsis is spot on, Brendan. The gap in the infrastructure availability um, has actually turned out to be, quote unquote, a blessing in disguise. Because, I mean, for, for a lot of the, the generation behind my, my generation, etc., 
access to the internet was really very limited. And the first real experience of being able to do things with a device that is, quote-unquote, fairly easily affordable comes from the, the, the cheaper smartphones. So their main point of connection with the rest of the world, with the internet, is via their smartphone. So at the end of the day, do you really need internet banking when you can put their ability to do whatever people want to do on that device that they are carrying around with them on a 24-7 basis? There's that section of us who spend quite a bit of time behind our desks glued to our screens. And for those of us, we want to be able to do things on the go. And our experience of on the go is behind our desks on our screens. And the, the screens will almost invariably be our PC screen or our TV screen or a larger screen. And therefore, there's still space for that. So understanding the market dynamics and how the market has changed and how that affects the offering that you, you, are, you, are, you are providing is really key to being successful in this era. It's not changed. Like understanding the current state of technology and matching that with what people are actually doing, not what you think people might want to do because it sounds like a great idea. I mean, if, if that was what was leading the world, some of the uh, smartphone manufacturing companies that I don't want to mention names that have dropped out um, into oblivion would still be here. So it doesn't, it's not the nice to have things. People just want to be able to do things on the go, live their normal lives. Well, what was the name of this gentleman who said banking is, a, is something that you do and not a place that you go to? Brett King. Brett King is the name that I was trying to remember. So, and that philosophy is still pervasive up till today. The digital banking side of things still excites me and I'm happy. I'm a happy man, so to speak. I see all the development that is happening in the mobile app digital banking space. But then the lessons that I have learned from the past still ring true. The fact that you build a great mobile app and put it in his hands doesn't mean that he's going to use it. I mean, look, banking has become, and I think I put this on my LinkedIn profile a while back, banking has become like shopping online. I, I don't need to get up and go anywhere. I don't want to fill any forms. I just want to browse the net and see, oh, okay, today I, I need to borrow a little bit of money. Let's see who's in the market for lending money. I really don't care which bank I'm getting it from. So banks, if you're out there listening to me, you had better wake up and smell the coffee. The smell of the coffee is really very different at this point in time. It's not rhetoric anymore. The customer is indeed king. Do not think you've got it all by providing a mobile app. Do not think you've got it all by putting all of these blockchain apps and things and things together. At the end of the day, the customer has his choices. Before the customer thinks of, of, of where he's going, you have provided the route. 
The fact that I'm banking with you today doesn't mean that tomorrow, if one of these challenger banks comes up with a mobile app-only bank, which I find interesting, I won't use that bank. I probably will. So what is it that gets one person to switch from one service to another? That is where we should all be thinking. Indeed. And I think from what you were saying there, what works well with putting this in context of your career is essentially for 30 years, the vision's been largely the same. And there's been an advantage if you could get the technology right, if you were the first one to solve the next problem. But now we're in a position where that technology is ubiquitous. You can't rely on the fact that, oh, we're the only bank who can provide you this service. Everybody can run a bank. And now, yeah, who can do it better? I'll certainly look to catch up with you again when you can talk more about uh, your big project uh, you're working on now. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Brendan. I've enjoyed talking about myself, which is not something I normally do. (laughs) And um, thanks for having me once again. And I'm looking forward to our next uh, engagement. And thank you for listening. This has been How to Lend Money to Strangers, the podcast about lending strategies around the world and across the credit lifecycle. If you'd like to work with Felix, feel free to reach out to him on LinkedIn. I'll drop his details in the show notes below. And if you're liking this content, don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next Thursday. we speak, there's one really challenging project that I'm on, which is to find and implement a multi-tenant platform for the credit unions across Ghana. It's, It's a badge that I proudly wear on my chest. It's a feather in my cap, and it's one that I'm proud of. It's a huge project. I am looking forward to the day when we turn the tap on and all of the credit unions within Ghana will be able to to be able to run their core banking needs. And we are including a mobile app as well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.